I got to tell you this story. I heard about three sons who left home. They went out and prospered, and they came back together, and whenever they were together, they were bragging about what they got their elderly mother for her birthday. And the first one said, I got my mother a brand-new big house. And the second one said, well, I got her a cool car, a fancy, rich car. And the third one said, well, since, since mom loves to read the Bible and she has trouble reading, she has tre- I mean, she can barely see it all, I got mom a parrot that has memorized the entire Bible and can repeat the Bible back to her. A few months later, they got a letter from their mother. Milton, the house you built me is way too big. Gerald, the car you bought me is way too small, but my dearest Donald, your simple gift was my favorite. That chicken was delicious. (laughs) From a young age, hey, that's kind of a bad joke, isn't it? Now I think about it. I don't filter my jokes before I, I give them. We learn that rejection is just part of life. From whenever you're a little kid and they're choosing teams on the playground and you're picked last, to the time you get to high school and you ask a girl out on a date and she's too busy, or you go in for a job interview and you're overqualified, rejection is just a major player in our life. Here it is. Your life does not have to be defined by the rejection that you've experienced. It can be defined by your response to the rejection that you've experienced. If I was to ask you to raise your hand today and ask you, have you experienced rejection sometime uh, in your life? Everybody in here today would raise their hands. I, I just want to go over, before we dive into the passage, three truths about rejection. Here's the first one. Rejection happens. It's a part of life. When you put yourself out there, when you live your life, when you take risks, when you make a go of it, you're going to encounter rejection. In my earlier years of preaching, I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I was still trying to figure out, should I really be doing this? And I'm still trying to figure that out, really. But it was, uh, I was preaching every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and uh, trying to do college and, and ball at the same time. And it was one of those Sunday mornings, I, I just started at a new church, and there was a guy, my first month, every Sunday, he'd walk in, he'd sit right there in the middle, and he would just fall asleep and start snoring at the beginning of my message. Now... I was bad. I mean, I was so bad that I would fall asleep during my messages, and that's, that's not a good sign. But after about a month, he not only came and fell asleep, he started bringing his pillow. He planned on sleeping. <laughs> he, made, he intentionally planned. And whenever I got up and started talking, he would just put the pillow on the back of the pew, you know, the old-fashioned wooden pews, and uh, he'd put that on that pew, and he'd just start falling asleep. He might as well just raised a sign that said, rejected. <laughs> Because that's, that's how I felt. Scripture never acts like you're not going to experience rejection. It doesn't sugarcoat life. It doesn't say life's going to be easy. It says that you're going to experience it. Imagine Mary getting pregnant before she was married. You think she experienced some cold shoulders around town when she was pregnant with Jesus? You think she was ever at a family get-together and there were some cousins who were just kind of giving her that look of rejection? The Apostle Paul explains in almost every letter that he had been rejected by his own people. He's called the Jew of Jews, and yet his own people left him for dead, rejected. Jeremiah, the old prophet, his ministry could have been called the rejection years. He was never accepted, always rejected. He he could have wrote a book called How to Make Sure People Reject You. 
And I'd like to say it would have been a good book and a bestseller, but it probably would have been rejected too. Hosea knew what it was for his wife to reject him. Noah knew what it was for society to reject him. Joseph knew rejection from his brothers. David knew what it was for his own son to reject him. Moses was rejected by the, own, uh, by the very people he was trying to rescue. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecuted is rejection in action. Joyce Meyer said, if you want to live a full-on life with God, you might as well get ready for it. Rejection. But do you know who's been rejected the most? You know who's experienced it the most? Our Heavenly Father. He knows what it is for creation to just ignore Him, live their life without Him, and totally reject the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ. If anyone knows rejection, we just have to look at the God and creator of the universe. So rejection happens, even happens to God. Number two, rejection hurts, doesn't it? Oh, we can act like it doesn't. I'm just so manly, rejection doesn't hurt. No, I, I want two thumbs up. I want a pat on the back. I want acceptance. It hurts. Interesting research. Whenever we experience social rejection, uh, researchers, scientists have figured out that there's neural pathways in our brain, that whenever we experience physical pain, there are certain neurons that fire up in our brain. The same neurons and pathways fire up in our brain whenever we experience social rejection. Same pain. It's not a different pain. But we try to act like we're not hurt, but we're experiencing it. You know what I'm talking about? We feel the pain. Actually, in one article in psychology today called The Pain of Social Rejection. It says, as, as far as the brain is concerned, a broken heart may not be so different from a broken arm. And so they did some studies. One of them they did, they called Cyberball. They had three people, they had different groups of three where they were playing Frisbee, and they had them throwing Frisbees back and forth to each other kind of in a three-way catch, and they connected all of their brains to an MRI machine where they were watching those pathways. And whenever they told two of them, kind of secretly, they told two of them, now just start playing catch with each other and stop throwing it to that third person. Whenever that third person felt left out, that person didn't act like it. They faked it. They didn't act like it bothered them. But from the MRI machine, their brain was going crazy with the same pathways and pain that they would experience in physical pain, even though they were trying to hide it. If, if I was to ask you to remember a physical pain, for example, I, I've, I've broken my collarbone twice. Here's what I remember about it. I remember it was painful, but I can't remember the pain. It's, it's weird. I can't remember the pain. I just remember it was painful, but I, I, can't, I can't relive it. But if you ask me to remember a social rejection that I've experienced, and you bring it up to me, not only do I remember it, I relive the pain. I can still feel the pain. And sometimes people say, well, that means you're not over it. That's not what that means. That means social rejection, you can actually, re it's, it's that deeply painful, it, it hurts, which is why whenever we talk about our past physical hardships, we kind of brag about it. We tell the stories, how I was bitten by a shark, <laughs> you know, and, but, but we don't relive the pain of the shark attack. I don't even know why I brought the shark attack. Anybody ever been? No, that was just weird. Uh, but Whenever we go to a therapist and a therapist says, you want to talk about when dad left you when you were 14 years old? And we, we pause and we hesitate because we know 
the pain's going to come back when we start to talk about it. Oh, we'll brag about our physical hardships because we won't relive it. But our social rejection, we start to feel it all over again. Rejection happens. Rejection hurts. And rejection harms, especially when it's from those closest to us, right? It hurts more when it's somebody closest to us. About two months ago, three months ago, I was knocking on doors in this neighborhood right over here, and I knocked on a lady's door. I held up my hand, said, hi, I'm Nathan, and she just chewed me out. I mean, she just let me have it. She said, I ain't shaking your hand. And then she called me a couple names that I can't really repeat in church today, and she just kind of chewed me out for a few minutes, and then she said, and besides, I have a church anyway. (laughs) Okay, well, and I (laughs) rejected. She just rejected I walked out to the, back to the sidewalk, and I stopped first. I, I didn't go to the next house. I had to gather myself. I hadn't been called those names for at least a, a couple days be, before then. Uh, but I, I, I hurt. It hurt. It was harmful, but it didn't last that long. I'm not really hurt today about that because I didn't know that lady. I wasn't that close to her. I'll, prob- I'll probably never see her again. But maybe we'll both end up in heaven, and she's going to be shocked to see me there. And that's going to be an interesting encounter. But if you were to ask me to bring up a social rejection I've experienced from a family member or a friend, I can remember word for word things that were said, and I can still feel it, even though that one's just a couple months ago, and I don't feel them because I don't know her. But it's harmful when it's from those that are closest to us. Here, here's the deal. No one knows rejection <laughs> more than Jesus, especially by those close to him. We're amazed at his power, his healing, his love, his holiness. I'm amazed at how Jesus handled his rejection. In today's passage in Mark chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. It takes us back to his hometown of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. That's where he's going. Remember, rejection hurts most by those who you know the most. He knew these people the most, the Nazareth people. So here we go, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And then it says this, He was amazed. He was shocked. He was blown away at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. Those are the twelve disciples, future twelve apostles, minus Judas, He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Then they went out and preach that people should repent, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. I want to give you two words today. It's a one-point sermon. Two words, 
that I think can change the trajectory of your life. If you're still living in your past rejections, if you're still struggling and trying to heal from a past pain and a past failure and a past rejection, these two words that Jesus teaches and he examples and he passes on to us can change the future of your life. Here they are, two words, move forward. Everybody say it together, move forward, not move on. Jesus never said move on. Have you heard that? Well, just it's time to move on. Sometimes you can't move on. Can we just be honest today? Sometimes the pain is so bad you can't just move on. Well, I, I've heard people who have lost a child, and a year later someone says, you know, it's time to move on. And that parent says, I, not only can I not move on, I don't want to move on. And I'm with that. I'm with them. Jesus didn't say move on. We sometimes can't move on, but we can move forward. Even with the pain, we can move forward in our life. There was a magazine called Mad Magazine. Uh, they had someone write in an article. I guess they had a bunch of people write in articles. This is the rejection letter <laughs> from the magazine itself. Dear contributor, sorry, but we've got bad news. You've been rejected. <laughs> they weren't very compassionate about their letter. Don't take this personally, though. All of us feel rejected at at, a, at one time or another. At least that's what our group therapist tells us here at MAD. He says we shouldn't worry about it. So that should be your attitude. What? Me worry? Nah. Besides, although you've been rejected, things could have been a lot worse. Your material might have been accepted. Then where would you be? Madly, Al Feldstein. P.S. Our group therapist also mentioned that many people are so rejected by rejection that they don't try again. And we wouldn't want that. We really would like you to keep sending us your article ideas and, and scripts so we can keep sending you those idiotic rejection slips. All right, all right. That was, <laughs> I thought it was funny, but uh, funny letter there. If you, draw, if you draw your attention to verse 6 in Mark chapter 6, Jesus had been performing miracles in all the towns around Nazareth. So I can only imagine the disciples are thinking, oh, we're going on the hometown tour now. Everybody's going to love Jesus. As big as Jesus has been in Capernaum and Nain and, and all those other towns, he's going to be huge here. And I imagine they walked into town and Jesus said, that's the corner where this happened and that was, the, that was my first Christmas. Actually, that would have been Bethlehem. But, uh, you know, he, he's sitting there showing them different places around town. Probably whenever they walked into town, there, was a, or there should have been a sign that said, Nazareth, hometown of Jesus, you know, but there wasn't. The people of Nazareth didn't treat him like that. I bet he was shocked. It actually says he was amazed. If you look at verse 6, it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. And then I would expect it to say, then Jesus went into a corner and took a couple days off to recoup. But that's not what Jesus did. What did he do? He moved forward. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He got probably up to that point the worst rejection of his life, and then immediately he goes from village to village. He stays on mission. He stays in his ministry. He knew why God had sent him to earth. He knew what he was supposed to be doing, and instead of going to the corner and just bawling his eyes out for a week, he stays on mission. He moves forward. I'm guessing he still had pain whenever he was going from village to village. I don't know if he moved on, but he moved forward immediately. He went from village to village, right back to work, he moved forward. Philippians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past and looking forward. Where'd Paul get that? 
I think he watched Jesus do it whenever Jesus experienced rejection. Luke 9, Jesus declared, no one, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back or lives in the past or lives from their rejection is fit for the kingdom of God. Followers of Jesus are a moving forward people. I had a moment about two months ago where I was uh, pulling into our neighborhood community building. I question whether I should tell you guys this, but I'm, I'm going to tell you guys this. I pulled into our community uh, neighborhood building and I was parking, and whenever I got to the point of starting to park, I, I mentally, I forgot everything. I forgot who I was. I forgot what I do for a living. I forgot where is this. I saw some tennis courts there that's always been there. I said, where am I? Why am I driving here? Um, I didn't black out, but I, I just lost. I didn't know anything. I forgot my name. I forgot who I am. I forgot if I was married. I forgot if I had kids. I forgot where I was from. I mean, I forgot everything. And it was, if you've ever experienced that, it's a scary moment. It only lasted for 10, 15 seconds, but it felt like <laughs> I didn't know how to get it together. And I pulled in and I parked. Luckily, I remembered how to drive. I guess that stuck with me, but I couldn't remember anything. It took me a month before I even told Chelsea about the incident. It took me another month to tell you guys. But uh, around the house now, whenever she asks me to do something, Nathan, will you take out the trash and I don't do it, I can always just, well, I, I can't remember anything. I'm sorry. Anyway, that's another issue that we're dealing with at home. Because uh, she says that's not going to work anymore. But I'm not saying forget the past. He, 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 Paul and Jesus is not saying forget the past. We learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. I wish I handled rejection better. I, I do. I feel like Lance Armstrong sometimes. He said, a boo is a lot louder than a cheer. If you have 10 people cheering you and one person booing you, which one do you remember? You, you remember the critical remark. You remember the boo. And I'm, I wish I wasn't like that, but I agree with Lance Armstrong. Um, <laughs> I can have 20 people tell me good sermon after today. If I have one person say, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard, guess which one I'm going to remember? So I'm so small. I've heard preachers say, you know, I don't like it when people lie to me. I know I had a bad sermon. And they come back and they just lie and they say good sermon. And I tell those preachers, I want my people to lie. I, I want them to lie. I don't care about truth. Just put, put your hand on my back and tell me a good sermon because I handle rejection so poorly. I don't get any record after Mark 6 that Jesus ever went back to Nazareth. It's his hometown. He didn't go back. He didn't live in the past. He loved him. He, cared. he didn't stop loving him. He didn't stop caring about him. He, didn't, he wanted them to come to... He never went back to Nazareth. Why? Because he was moving forward. I don't know if he moved on, but he was moving forward. And then if you go on to verse 11, this, is, this was big for me this week. Look at how he instructed his disciples to handle rejection. He's sending them out two by two, and, and he says this, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, this, the same thing that just happened to me in Nazareth, if that happens to you, what does he say? Leave that place, and then here's the phrase, Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus knew they were going to experience rejection the same way that Jesus just experienced rejection. And he says, shake the dust off your feet. What does that mean? What does it mean to shake the dust off your feet? Do you know what that means? Here's what it means in the context of, of, of then. Whenever they would walk into town, 
they were probably wearing sandals. So whenever they're walking on those dirt roads, dust would just gather on their feet. And whenever they left, they would obviously take that dust with them wherever they go. And Jesus says, I don't, even, I, don't, I don't want you to live with that town still on you. I don't want to live with their dust still on you. I want you to take off your sandals. I want you to smack them together, get that dust off, get the dust off your feet. I don't want you to take anything from there to there. I don't want that experience to hinder that experience. I don't want that rejection to hinder your future ministry. Take it all off. Leave it there. Leave it behind. We're not going to live in the past. That's not how we handle rejection. We don't handle rejection by taking it with us. Leave it there. Wow. That's what he taught his disciples. Here's, here's how I paraphrase it this week. Uh, up on the screen, don't let the rejection of your past keep you from the reward of your future. And we've seen Maybe you have, maybe I have. I've allowed the rejections of the past keep me from the ministry that God has laid before me. Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet. Leave it there. Don't take it with you. There's a modern phrase for it. The modern phrase would be, wash your hands of it. Have you heard that? Wash your hands of it. I've done all I can do. I am free in my conscience now. I have warned, I have taught, I have done everything I could do and now I am free of responsibility from this situation. I'm washing my hands of it. That's, that's the modern phrase. Shake the dust off your feet. So heads up, heads up, church. If you ever get really excited about Jesus or if you turned a corner and gotten really passionate about Jesus, you're gonna have some people in your circle reject you. We see it all the time. If you're in a circle of people that are kind of apathetic toward God and and Jesus, and you all of a sudden catch fire, and you fall in love with the Savior, the people around you are going to feel intimidated and maybe jealous or maybe I, I, all the different feelings that they feel, and they're going to let you know that you are no longer in the group, and I've even seen this done. If you don't knock it off with that Jesus stuff, you are out of our group now, and you better pick group or Jesus because this is making us feel weird. And I just want you to know anybody who ever does that to you or puts you in that position, they are not your friends and they do not love you. And I've seen this done in families more than even friendship groups where, where one spouse catches fire but the other spouse is still apathetic and still kind of, ah, I don't really care about spiritual things, I'm not really thinking about eternity, but one does and now they're in the position, you, you know what, you pick church or me, you pick church or me. And here's what I just want you to know. Jesus says, and by the way, and it's the passage from last week, he says, you're gonna be put in that position. Is Jesus on the throne in your life? Anyway, sometimes in order to gain the higher life, you have to be willing to lose the lower life. That is actually a scripture. If you wanna find abundant life in Christ, all that God has for you, sometimes you have to give up the status quo. So the main reason I think Jesus handled rejection so well is this right here. Jesus knew this, alignment with God, staying on mission with God, meant more to Jesus than acceptance from people. He cared more about living in alignment with God's will than whether or not people approved of him. He cared more about his mission than he did approval from people. And you know where he showed that the most? God says, you go to Nazareth? Okay, I will. He says, you go to the cross? Okay, I will. And he did. More than Nazareth, it was at the cross that he showed us how to handle rejection more than any other place. Jesus' ability to handle rejection is why we're here today. 
When he was hanging on that cross, his entire nation rejected him. But do you know what was worse than that? Who else rejected him on the cross? His own father. And if you've ever been rejected by a parent, you can in some way not fully relate to Jesus, but in some way you can sit there and feel that pain today. But it was on that cross, one of his last words was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the New Century Version actually says you can translate that word forsaken to rejected. My God, my God, why are you rejecting me? And do you know what the reason is? The reason is because of our sin. That's why God rejected him right there. Jesus was rejected so that we would be accepted. That's the gospel. Jesus was rejected. He endured the rejection so we wouldn't have to endure the rejection when we stand before the Father. I don't know how much rejection is in this room today or how much you have faced. I know we've all been hurt. Regardless, you are in a place, you're in the body of Christ. No matter your past, no matter your situation, you are accepted in here. Amen, church? You are accepted among God's people because of what Jesus endured, the rejection on the cross. Would you stand with me? I want us to read a verse as our music team comes to play. I want us to read Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Would you read it out loud with me? Everybody in unison, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Isn't that good news that we can move forward? That doesn't mean you move on but it does mean you move forward.